0: And he's announcing the acts to come on stage. And he's saying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, there, there are three types of acts you'll see. Uh, some of them in 10 years time will be on your television screens. Uh, some of them you'll never see again. And that's a good thing. And and some of them <laughs> should really be doing therapy. And when he said that, it was like this, this dagger to my soul. I was like, man... That is absolutely right. I mean, you could argue that all art is some form of therapy, but I am inflicting on my audience these, these, these pains from deep in my soul and I would be much better off working through this with a therapist was what my intuition was telling me. And that was the moment, that was the
1: fork in the road. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas Into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Richard Atherton was a consultant at Deloitte when I ran into him in the basement of a Soho comedy club. He ended up quitting Deloitte, tried his hand at stand up, created a burlesque comedy night called Bonobo Presents. Then embarked on a deep psychotherapeutic journey on himself before founding First Human with some colleagues, a company which takes what he's learned in both the consulting world and in therapy and brings the humanity back into corporations. So Richard, thanks very much for making time to be on the Ideas Lab podcast my pleasure looking forward to it uh, whereabouts are you i mean i'm recording this in ubud in bali sitting in my hotel room because it's 32 degrees centigrade outside and i can't cope so i'm, I'm in some air conditioning where are you you're in uh you're somewhere in cambridge did you say
0: yeah we work has just opened a new space near cambridge station in the uk and I'm here enjoying their fantastic internet and a very empty offices. I think it's only just opened, So, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty empty. It's good.
1: Yeah. So everything's pristine and new. Lovely. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you. We know each other, sort of, from Deloitte. It, in in fact, our bizarre story is that we were both working in the same department of Deloitte at the same time, but we met in the basement of a comedy bar, <laughs> a comedy comedy club. That's right with yeah yeah where we were both on the same stand-up comedy course the amused moose uh famous comedy course and um what we why so you were a deloitte consultant about the same time as me what why did you start doing a comedy course stand-up comedy good question i I mean, I'd done comedy
0: at university. I was an electronic engineer at, at university with a with a sideline in in writing sketches, and and we took a show, uh, "The Triumphant Sausage," to to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in, in Scotland. Wow! And uh, <laughs> we were critically panned, but uh, it was a good it was a it was a, it was a good learning experience. Yeah, uh, and. I always had an interest in, in in comedy, and actually, when I first left university and came to London, I, I worked in a bar and was doing stand up comedy, and didn't really get very far with it. Uh, took a job coding uh, in the city, uh, found my way into Deloitte, and then had put that that creative part of me somehow pushed it pushed it down for several years. Well, of course, you, one is creative as a consultant, but not not in the same way, and. Where where had I got to? That's right, and I, I, I yeah, I suppose it had been six or seven years as hard work as a as a consultant, travelling around, and something in me must have decided I needed to do snapped. So yeah, snapped. Some needed to do something more creative. Found my way to this course was recommending, re- recollecting that the first time round I'd done it, I, you know, it hadn't gone <laughs> brilliantly well. Like, in factor I remember the pub in the East End where I took my, yeah, my comedy and uh, <laughs> they were pretty much perplexed by what had just happened. They certainly weren't laughing.
1: That's not a good, that's not a good reaction. You are perplexed is, is not a good adjective to be.
0: Exactly. So I thought, well, maybe I, maybe I should get some training and yeah, uh, maybe, maybe I'll have a better shot of it this time.
1: Yeah. And so we were sitting in the basement and I said, like, I said something like, what do you do? It was towards the end of the course. And he said, oh, I work at Deloitte. And I went, well, so do I. Where? And he said, the Strand. And I said, well, so do I. In which department? And he went, TMT, telecoms, media and technology, whatever it is. And I went, well, so do I. But the fact is, you've been on project the whole time because you've been at Sky TV. And so, uh, you, you, you you what kind of consultant were you? You'd like a management consultant in general, or?
2: So yeah, I'd, I had come to Deloitte with my coding skills, and I was still doing some some amount of, of software engineering uh, as a as a consultant. Uh, and I suppose it was a broader role because in Deloitte you never just you know. I don't want to say that sounds pejorative. What is usually has some technical skills that you're deploying and then you, you, you get involved in much more the management aspects as well, which is, which was definitely the case with me there. At the light. I was doing project management and bits and pieces of design architecture. And yeah, so it was a, it was a technical consulting management role.
1: And so then you do the 12 week Amuse Moose Comedy course with me with Logan Murray. who's a great teacher. And um and it, it, where did you go afterwards? Because uh, at the end, I went and did a handful of gigs, which uh, most of them went quite well, actually. What you went and started something else, didn't you? You want to explain what that was?
2: Yeah. So I mean, initially, I actually started a comedy club above uh, a, a goth club on Wardour Street, in the middle of Soho in London, which was the which is the the, the kind of the gay, well, at least was well, a, um, a gay, pretty creative quarter within within London, and. Yeah, <laughs> we had we had a room above this golf pub. Uh, we called it the 99 Club, uh, because it was 99 Wardour Street.
1: Yeah, because I performed at the 99 Club, because um, was it Richard Warionecki who was running it with you? Jim Warionecki. Jim Warionecki. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay.
2: Yeah, Jim and I started it together, and in fact my dad came down and put the, put the hooks for our very first black curtain uh, above the Behind the stage there, above this pub, and it was an extraordinary pub. You, you weren't allowed to wear a tie in this pub. Uh, it was full of goths, and and we had a pretty sort of straight mainstream audience. So they'd walk through this pub like we come into, it. and then they come upstairs, and then yeah, and we, we gargles on the walls and bits of old moats. But it was the, the just this yeah you know, ridiculous room. But it was quite it was fun to do comedy in. and we yeah we ran that for a few years jim and i i mean jim has now taken it on i was done incredibly well with it i mean he's got clubs all over london and he's made a huge go of it so yeah brilliant but he but i i yeah i i did that and after a while i felt like i wanted to do something broader like we had a punk punk band show up one night and sort of perform at the end of the gig and uh, i i had decided yeah i i like the idea of some, doing something broader broader than simply the comedy and Ben went on to create. Bonobo presents. Uh, bonobo is a type of ape, and when a bonobo, <laughs> the technical meaning of bonobo presents is uh, is when a bonobo presents its genitalia to other. Of-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> didn't know that bonobos. bit. I knew you'd mentioned the bonobo thing because they're the most promiscuous m- apes or animals in the world or something, but I didn't know the bit about presents. Oh my god!
2: Yeah. So if, that, that's um, it's part of their. The way they communicate with each other actually is good and now of course they have their, what they're famous for is having having a lot of sex obviously uh in any which way and so it was a it was a fun you know it's just a fun fun thing to to create the this show around to i did this show around and we it was pretty sexy we had a lot of burlesque dancers and so on and, and we had comedians and poets and performance artists um, yeah and um, we took it out of this well we created it in a much more salubrious uh yeah much more g- grand and luxurious setting around the corner the cafe royale
1: yeah and i ended up running scanners night there once but it's a great venue and they it's a shame they they closed it because it's like this really old-fashioned bar mirrors everywhere and it feels like something from 100 years ago so and that did pretty well didn't it
2: that did really well. Yeah, we. we- after a while we were selling yeah selling out we we were the world's only uh carbon neutral cabaret club, so we offset all of our cabaret. And, and that got the interest channel four, which are the major t v stations in the u k so they filmed our cabaret cabaret night the world's one and only carbon neutral cabaret night and um yeah, so we we did that we yeah, we get a lot of, we did get a lot of press because I was running it with Melanie who who was a PR professional, so of course she was brilliant at that. And yeah, we had uh, a hell of a lot of fun doing that for a for a few years. Initially on the side, actually, but yeah, right at the start on well no, actually I'd quit Deloitte. I'd quit Deloitte by the time I'd so summary the midst, uh, I I took the leap and screwed work, screwed Deloitte work and and jumped out of the... Uh, Working uh, as a Deloitte consultant now. Yeah.
1: Were you making enough money from Bonobo Presents to live on, or were you had you gone into contracting or something?
2: So uh, yeah, I d- uh, that's right. So I, d- I, d- I was contracting. I had a little bit, not much, but a little bit left over from where I was from working at Deloitte, which I, su- I suspect probably kept me going for for a while. And then yes, and I was contract. So I was very lucky. Deloitte took me back on uh, as a as a contractor, which was extraordinarily lucrative. Um and um, and I managed to do that part-time, so I I said I'd come back, but I'd only do it three or four days a week, which they were very accommodating of and the client, uh, which was the BBC. So so it was, yeah, it was great. I, for a while there, it was fantastic. I was making, uh, yeah, a lot of money as a contractor, having a huge amount of fun running this cabaret show.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a similar journey to me as well because I ended up uh, contracting and I would, I think there's an interesting point here for anyone who wants to break out of a job and go consulting, contracting, people will always say that they want you full time on a contract, or even they want you back in a job. And, it, you know, if you take them at face value, you would imagine that it would be impossible to do what both you and I did, which is to work three days a week. And, and yet if you stand firm and you can just go, I am only available three days a week, depending on the kind of work you're doing, sometimes it's not practical, you often people will cave because they'd rather have you three days a week but not at all and it sounds like that's what deloitte did with you or what the bbc who was the end client did with you and in fact it was the bbc i was contracting for during the similar period as well
2: yeah that's right yeah yeah You push past that and resistance and quite often they'll say i mean a friend of mine was talking about his wife who's a lawyer and they tried to say to her um well, we'll let you come back four days a week. She's, she's a mother as well, and she didn't want to work full-time. She said, no, I'm only going to work three days a week. Take it or leave it. And eventually they came. You're right. They just said, I'd rather have you three days than, than no days. So, yeah, you're right. I think often people are in a stronger position than they perhaps initially perceive that they're in. And, of course, not always.
1: And we had specific – I think you had broadcast expertise and so did I. So if you've got some sort of specialist thing and people need it and they really want you, then, yeah, they will – they will bend. So, how long did Bonobo Presents go for?
2: It was a couple of years. I think it was two or three years, and we set up an agency, so it was a purveyor of jugglers and dancers to uh, to uh, aristocratic parties in London for a while. Uh, which was <laughs> yeah, which was, was which was, <laughs> was a lot of fun. So yeah, I was, was, was a cabaret empresario, I think you could say for wow for, for a few years. I found my way back to comedy, so. It, well, interestingly, after a while, I decided that I, I was getting quite jealous of these these com- comedians coming on the show. So I would MC the show and I'd present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage and the a comedian of the night. And and then I'd watch them from the from the from the sidelines and think, oh yeah, I'd, I'd actually really love to be doing that. I'd love to be doing with comedy. And, and so I went full circle. and then went really back pretty hard into comedy. Uh, picking up where i left off, off, by which point Jim's club had got so big that he wouldn't book me. <laughs> so I'd go back to the United Age
1: So the club you you helped to start wouldn't hire you, wouldn't book you. That's
2: great. Exactly. They'd too, too, got too big. And, uh, but, but after a while, yeah, working hard on the circuit, I did start to get to the point where I was yeah, getting asked to do more and more gigs around the country and and I, and I still, I still remember my first check for fifteen pounds uh, for uh, my first paid gig down on the south coast. So yeah, that was that was a lot of fun uh, for for a while. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's it's interesting. So have you never worried about what your clients might think? You know, the BBC or Deloitte. Were you worried if they? if they saw the footage on channel four of Benova presents, or if they knew you were a, a jobbing comedian, were you ever worried that that might clash with the kind of corporate image or you don't, you don't care?
2: Yeah. I, so I was, and I, and I, I was very wary when things ended up, because I mean, this was in the early days of YouTube, but there was still, there was still a little bit of that going on, you know, people filming gigs and stuff getting out online. And yeah, it definitely was a worry because my act was pretty blue. I mean, i wasn't an opener i was definitely late no at the end of the once the once the once the audience warmed up it was um yeah so yeah it was a concern it was it certainly was a concern and, and it may have been it may have got to a point where had it had i continued with it at some point it would have been unsustainable to be having a really dark blue comedy act and playing the role of a trusted corporate advisor simultaneously i mean it was a pretty bizarre life for a while because i'd be on stage in, in in birmingham which is sort of in the middle of the uk at, at midnight knowing i had a meeting with a client at 8 a.m the next day in london and yeah so that there was a, there was a few months where it was a it was a pretty demanding
1: double life I mean, you. It sounds like you're not afraid to work hard on, on whatever you're doing. I mean, that's we shouldn't. We sh- we shouldn't kind of deny that that's a factor in all these things being quite successful.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Working hard, persevering, like going through the big shit face, and <laughs> just keep 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 on. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, well, it sounds like you actually had a slightly different ride with comedy. It sounds like you were pretty good right from the start. I mean, I was. I think yeah. in. I think I was more—I had more in common with most comedians, which actually is they're pretty awful for quite a long time before they start getting good. I was definitely in that
1: camp. Well, I, I was weird in that I sort of turned it around in the last meeting of the comedy course. And I did a, well, I did a, a, you know, there's a performance. So you do this 12-week comedy course in the basement of the Muse Moves Comedy Club with Logan Murray. And then at the end, you do, everyone does a gig where you do five-minute slot in front of an audience, which is quite big, which is basically made up of the friends of all the people who are performing. And I was, like, second but last. And I did, actually, a good job, and people laughed. It's a fairly forgiving audience because it's friends and stuff. I came off, and somebody said, oh, my God, you're the, you get the award for most improved. So clearly, I'd managed to turn it around just by that last thing. And the challenge for me was understanding the difference between funny writing so when you're writing an article and you want to be funny and funny um funny stand-up which is like a whole different level of funny because I would say stuff on stage you know during the course and people would like go yeah, yeah. and sort of like like you would when you're reading an article and go oh that's that's clever that's funny it's interesting but that you don't want people doing that in a comedy audience they've got to actually you know convulsed with laughter so it was that transition i had to get the hang of and i had at least one bum gig that was terrible i only did about five and uh and ones that were good and uh, at least two or three that were that went quite well so um yeah it's kind of <laughs> it's quite a journey you've been on and then you kind of went on uh, this is probably at what point you went on this big therapeutic journey and when did that kind of when did you start to get into that? Well, it was it was Monkey Business,
0: which is a which is a <laughs> another simian themed night in London. And oh yeah, I remember Monkey Business. That's in Camden. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Monkey Business in in uh, I think it was it was Kensal Green. So it, in the north of London, I think Martin Besseman ran it, and uh, and he and he's announcing the acts to come on stage. And he's saying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, there there are three types of acts you'll see. Uh, Some of them in 10 years time will be on your television screens. Uh, Some of them you'll never see again. And that's a good thing. And, and some of them should really be doing therapy. And when he said that it was like this, this dagger to my soul. I was like, man, that is absolutely right. I am. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that all art is some form of therapy, but I am inflicting on my audience, these, these, these pains from deep in my soul. And, I would be much better off working through this with a therapist was what my intuition was telling me. Yeah. And it was, and that was the moment, that was the fork in the road. And at that point I was like, okay, this comedy's going okay. You know, it wasn't like I was having some some stellar success, but it was going okay. And I could certainly see a path where I, I was, I was going to improve over time. But uh, yeah, that was the moment I thought, no, I really need to be doing therapy, not comedy. And I didn't, then I, I saw out the rest of the bookings that I had, and then really started going hard into yeah into working on myself uh, and and the initial and the initial act there was to go out to california santa monica and do 21 days in the primal center which was a which is a, a therapy center that's still going um set up by a guy called arthur janov who wrote the famous book the primal scream was john lennon's therapist and we, we yeah i worked with uh, his staff there he was by that point um not actively um doing therapy but still still the uh, the intellectual force behind it and yeah I started to have some some big big breakthroughs I mean I cried for the first time in about five years with with my therapist there on like day 18 of this 21 intensive where he'd been trying to yeah try to break me for every day for <laughs> really yeah the best part of a month and uh and then he sent me to watch this movie I watched this movie and I'd sort of started to well up a little bit in this movie and then the next day in the therapy session I just wailed and that was like the floodgates opening and that 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 began then uh, yeah I suppose what has now been 10 years of very very deep work um, yeah. which uh, has been extraordinary extraordinarily demanding and rewarding and has very much changed my life and and who I am
1: yeah I mean I I heard you know I remember ran into a few years ago and it was dramatic the kind of things you were reporting so for anyone who doesn't know primal therapy this is the classic stuff where you are screaming and and uh crying and shouting and stuff what's the kind of philosophy behind it if you want to if you can sum it up
0: yeah so I mean (laughs) how to sum it up I suppose one of the principal ideas is this idea of resonance. So, and what does that mean? It means that if I'm experiencing some fe- feeling in the present it's some annoyance, at a boss or a partner, or I'm acting in some compulsive way, it's because I'm being driven by not the feeling in the present, but a feeling deep from, from, from the past. So when I think about it, I, I think about it like there's like a little bell ringing in the present, but really that's resonating with a big kind of bell that's ringing in the, in a, down the path of time to some, some event in my past. So we get triggered in this way. I mean, sometimes the way it gets summed up is um, hysterical is historical. So when I've got some kind of overreaction, some emotion in the present, really it's being driven by something that I'm repressing or have suppressed deep in my past. So That's the premise of it. Uh, and the idea with primal therapy, and I thought, I think any kind of these therapies that work at a deep level is that we go back to those early events and initiate a grieving process. That's how I see it. So we actually kickstart what the, the a natural capacity that we all possess, and that's the ability to grieve. And, and what that therapy does is it puts me back in that place where I was in pain, where a need, a primal need of mine wasn't being met, fundamental need wasn't being met, and then allow myself to grieve the unmet need. That's what we talk about in primal therapy. And through doing that, I resolve forever that part of me that's damaged. So it's curative in that respect. And that's, I think, what, that's for me, that's what distinguishes it from a lot of other therapeutic paradigms is that it's it's curative. It, you dissolve that aspect of one's damaged a psyche permanently now in my case and i guess for many people entering this path there's a lot to work on and in fact France Genov, janov's wife talks about this process as like emptying a bathtub with a teaspoon so it's a it's a it's a lifetime's work and it's ex- yeah it's extraordinarily libert- liberating it, it to sounds work in this way or at least it has been for me sense
1: sounds- Horrific to go through. (laughs) Is is it not just like, oh my god? Do you dread the sessions? Sometimes that's true. Sometimes
0: I'm like, am I ready for this today? That's true. Sometimes I do, Uh, but no, uh, no. Ultimately, I'm I'm drawn to do them because I because I experience such such ultimately such relief from doing it. So it's 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 in some ways I feel immensely privileged that I have the time and the resources to do all this. Uh, I'm I'm well aware that there are a lot of people who would not have the wherewithal to take on this work because for long periods I've not been able to work, uh, I've not been able to function as a in in relationships or in, in just in generally in life. A lot of the time it is lying on the floor, bawling your eyes out. So <laughs> wow. it's, not everybody has the you know, circumstances where they can allow yeah. themselves to do that. So some-
1: yeah, and the therapies. The therapy is not too cheap either if you actually do it with the Yanoff uh, Institute,
0: isn't No, it, right? it's not. Well, I mean, initially the, the big expense was going out to California to do it, but actually now I do it over Skype. I haven't been back to California for years and I don't, I don't need to do it as intensively as I did. But it's not, um, I mean, it's expensive in the sense that all therapy is expensive. You're having to pay a professional by the hour, but it's not, um, I wouldn't say it's any more expensive than, you know, any other therapist really.
1: Yeah. And then, and, and the, you know, what's interesting is that most people never begin this journey. So people largely, you know, they, they end their life pretty much in the same state they were when they enter adulthood, more or less. So it's a rare person who, yes, you've got the means to do it, but it's a rare person who actually invests the time and the energy and the, you know, uh, distress it's going to evolve along the way in order to unwrap it and. And actually change yourself. So I think it's uh, it's an amazing thing.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it's uh, it's certainly true that not many people do it. And interestingly enough, back to Deloitte. I think one of the moments for me early on in my career with Deloitte was looking at the partners there who were maybe 10, 15 years down the track. Uh, and now some of them are very healthy and you know uh, people I looked up to. But a lot of them, you know, were overweight heavy drinkers, mistresses, you know, all the rest of it and had pretty dysfunctional lives, you know, despite being, of course, very wealthy. And there was a part of me that could see that might be my future. You know, I'd be one of those guys who was making a fortune, but ultimately a bit of a wreck. And I, yeah, something in me knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And 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 that helped, helped drive me, actually. Oh, firstly, to look at more creative ways to make a living, but then ultimately took me into this therapeutic path.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm i laughing because I'm thinking of the two partners that were involved in my team. And uh, they were very odd until uh, until uh, we merged with Anderson Business Consulting and then you know, those people seemed to be a bit more together. But I won't mention any names. <laughs> um and now, so what do you do now? Because I described you the other day when we met up as, as like, you, you do therapy shit in corporates at a high rate, which you laughed at. But it's it's quite an achievement because you are kind of doing, you're doing soft skill stuff. You're doing stuff that's a bit like um, therapy. Uh, and I'm not being derogatory about therapy because a lot of people know I'm in therapy myself and I'm a big fan of it. So, um, but I'm kind of being uh, a bit lighthearted about it. What are you doing in corporations these days can you name drop a couple of companies you've worked for that you're allowed to mention
0: yeah so i can talk about the bbc they've been a, a client of mine over the years and john lewis who are a big um, retailer in the uk uh, i uh, i've done work <laughs> I, I had some limited engagement engagement with the, the olympic games and um, so they were uh, that they, 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 it was great to to work with someone from from the olympics uh, adidas i've had uh, some done some work with some of their guys so yeah so uh, there's there's been some some bigger names and then uh, aberdeen city council i'm currently doing some work with so i uh, yeah so there's a there's a range of clients that i that i work with yeah
1: and what are you doing with them uh is a uh, how would you describe it
0: so there are there are three ways in which we work so the first is at an individual level, and this is where we might be getting the therapy shit uh, yeah. <laughs> aspect of it. <laughs> so, so this is coaching individuals, uh, principally around their leadership, and um, and and some of that I is more is 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 in a coaching stance. So it's about where they're looking for what 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 they need to be held accountable for, what vision they're creating, what possibility. Are they standing for within their organisation? What commitments are they making? So that's a big part of what, what we do with individual leaders. And we will look at their history. Yeah, but in some of the workshops that we do, we'll ask people to write out their life story, to share their life story with others, to start to join the dots between where their current, their current behaviours and how some of that behaviour got set up in their past. What were, the, what were the events in their past that they have now carry a story around? So we will, to that extent, delve into individuals and their past as a way to have them be fuller expressions of themselves in the, in the present. So that's part of the work we do. And then a lot of the work we do is around team dynamics and organisational culture, where we're creating spaces for people to explore where they're great and where there are dysfunctions and what and then help people to get clear on what it is they're going to do to move forward what are the steps that they're going to take what the experiments they're going to make within their team or within their culture in pursuit of some business goal and and that's the that's the third aspect where we'll go to work is with companies, is where they have a specific goal, and we will design an intervention around that goal. Uh, and and then then we might bring several of those strands to into play, the, the individual coaching, the, the team coaching.
1: And do you think you would have ended up doing this if you hadn't done all the therapy, if you hadn't done all the work on yourself, do you think you would have ended up doing this or would you have ended up somewhere else, do you think?
0: No, I think I would have ended up as a technique technically oriented management consultant i think i would just stayed on the track interesting what you said right? i think most people as you say don't uh don't feel drawn to do a lot of deep work on themselves and tend to follow a relatively consistent path through their lifetime and tend to stick with whatever it was they started doing out of uni they'll they'll often um, pursue that for the rest of their lives assuming they find it satisfying and i i I mean in many ways I was very satisfied with the work I did at Deloitte it was it was intellectually stimulating I worked with good people uh, Deloitte actually a great firm to work for in many many ways so I could have could have seen myself continuing on that on that track but once I started the self reflection it's like you open those floodgates and it's yeah it all emerges right it's like opening pandora's box it's it's all then starts to flood out and who knows where where i'm going to end end up or where well, certainly i didn't know at the beginning of that where i might find myself yeah. but yes you're right and as your question i know I, there's no way i've been doing this deep work with with teams and individuals in the way that i am had i not done all that work yeah. on myself
1: and your company is first human but you also which you run your co-founder of uh with your who's your business partner
0: so oddy ashine is my business partner uh, he and then we've got a couple of other partners, Philadelphia and Gary. Yeah.
1: And uh, you also run a podcast called Being Human. Yeah. What made you want to what what did you <clears throat> what made you want to create a podcast? And
0: well, I said part of the motivation here is when I first met Oddi, it was like breathing oxygen. So one of my my business conversations at the time were satisfying satisfying at level but when i first started engaging with with Oddi, who had a company called slp at the time before we together founded first human it was it was just this depth of conversation that i wasn't getting anywhere else in 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 my business relationships that i really appreciated and craved and wanted more of right so so that drew me initially to working with audio and then ultimately creating First Human, the coaching and consulting company we now have. And out of that re- insight was this desire to, to create that space more broadly. Mm. And that's what being human is about. It's about creating deeper conversations which people can listen to and participate in uh, within, within a business context. That's, that's the purpose for creating Being Human.
1: Yeah, no, and I love it. And I love the the whole theme of bringing the humanity back to the corporate world. And uh, I think the world has changed since we were at Deloitte and people understand that a lot better. But it's still a world apart between the conventional corporate world and how we might think as entrepreneurs and creatives who run our own careers. So it's good that you're in there bringing the, uh, you know, putting on the agenda Things like, well, you know, your history is actually part of what's going on here in the room in whatever problem you're having at work. So I think that's so important.
0: Yeah. Yes, I think. I think so. And I think we'll find. I mean, and there's a, I haven't read the book, actually, but um, Sirad Sir, Sirosa, the guy who wrote Conscious Cap- Capitalism, he, I understand, has written a book called The, the Healing Organization and I actually did a talk. This is before the book came out, called the the Healing Organisation at a conference. And I, I think that's where we're heading. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that as we evolve as a society and become more open to these questions and and self reflection, these deeper questions and and self reflection, we will we will learn. I think that that creating healing spaces for people in organisations is one of the most powerful way you can. Um, unleash creativity, productivity, uh, p- coherence within teams. I, I believe that this is, the, this is the, where we're heading.
1: No, I think that's brilliant, and I and I love the idea of a, a corporation or an organisation can be a, a space for healing, not just making money, not just people functioning to their best abilities, but actually, that's quite. I never even thought of it company like that before but a place where everyone gets better (laughs) you know in every way yeah
0: i like that yeah where we can help each other heal and grow in the broadest sense
1: that's great yeah so people want to know more about you uh tell them the website address
0: yes so firsthuman.com and if you want to hit the podcast it's firsthuman.com slash podcast that will get you to the being human podcast uh, and then you'll see all the episodes there, and then links out to iTunes and YouTube.
1: Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Richard. What an amazing journey, and what a fascinating conversation. Thank you, John. Well, I, I've, I've always
0: felt like we—it we, was all about me this time, but I, yeah. Of course, you've got an extraordinary <laughs> journey as you sit out in Bali interviewing me. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, you know, I talked about our parallels there, and I think there's—it's funny how our lives have gone along in in parallel in the, in the ways that they have. So, yeah, glad I ran into you in that basement in um, in Soho <laughs> and, uh, and spoke to you. Thanks very much, Richard. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe, and if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.